You're listening to the Geek Saga Podcast. This episode features audio from a discussion panel that was recorded at DragonCon 2023. All right, guys, we're going to get started because it's a couple minutes after four. Just to make sure everybody's in the right place, this is the House of the Dragon season one panel. Okay, just, just making sure we're all in the right place. <laughs> so my name is Tara. I'm going to be your moderator. You can find me across the web at Geek Saga. I am founder and organizer of Ice and Fire Con, which was the first ever Song of Ice and Fire Game of Thrones convention in the U.S. I also do a couple podcasts, including the Sagas and Sass podcast, which is a genre lit podcast. And uh, my Geek Saga podcast, which is where you can actually find panel recordings after the fact. And then um, last year I did, in fact, do a 10 episode series called Hot D Takes. I am going to probably try to run this panel closer to like that because we have an hour to cover a lot. But what is going to happen is the panelists here are going to introduce themselves in a moment. We're going to kind of get the conversation started a little bit, but I prefer these to be more of a Q&A sort of situation. So if you have a comment or a question, we ask that you use the mic over here here as long as you are able to do so just because we want to make sure everybody in the room can hear you this is kind of a big room there are a good amount of people in here uh sound doesn't carry as well as you think in these situations so you guys want to go ahead and introduce yourself let's start with violet hi my name is violet meyer i'm author of fantasy urban fantasy and paranormal my name is seth lockhart i'm a co-founder of a website and podcast called book buzzings and i also run a atlanta brendan Sanderson bank group Hi everybody, my name is Rebecca. Um, by day, I teach 8th graders Georgia history, but in general I'm just a big enthusiast on all things fantasy, sci-fi, and I'm really happy to be here to talk. Alright, so. I think I want to get started with, uh, give me each of your hottest hot D take of the season. And I guess you can think of that as a favorite moment. You can think of it as a moment or scene or character who just really stuck out to you. Viserys the first was my favorite character of the show. The breakdown of some of his decisions that he made, I thought were very compelling. And also the, the whole thing about the Iron Throne, did not choosing him as a king and slowly, very slowly killing him because of what was a very interesting plot line. I thought Damon was a very interesting character because he was such a villain, but he had a heart. It's like he loved his family, but it seems like he felt guilted in a lot of ways. I like all the evilness. Um, Damon, I love watching him be evil. I love Damon doing evil things as well. That's one of the things I love in Game of Thrones. You know, I was always rooting for the good guys. And this one, I like seeing the evil take place. More interesting. Well, and that's one thing that leading up to the first season, I. I I can't remember if it was the showrunners or George Martin or both were talking about how uh, they wanted the characters to have these gray areas in ways that a lot of the grayness of the characters from the Song of Ice and Fire books was either completely removed or toned down to the point where it was basically non-existent. There were some far enough grand characters, but nothing like what we got with House of the Dragon or what we've gotten with House of the Dragon so far. Damon being one of them, I mean, I figure like most times when Damon was in regular clothes, you could trust that he might not be the best person doing the best things, but he wouldn't necessarily be outright evil. But man, then he put on that crime hoodie and you knew that he was out to cause trouble. So he has a bad guy cosplay. Yeah, literally, exactly. Character wise, I, I agree with, I mean, I love Damon as just, like I said, I, I just love the dichotomy of, you can sometimes have good Damon and you can sometimes have crime hoodie Damon and both of them are great in their own ways. But I, I was very surprised about Viserys and that's one thing we talked about on the House of the Dragon panel we did last year when I think there were only three episodes of the season out. We talked a lot about Viserys and how Martin has said he was bored with writing him and that he was really excited for everybody to see how the show portrayed him. And the writers did a great job. The showrunners did a great job. Patty Considine did an amazing job. And we got a character who in the in Fire and Blood is, he's barely even there. 
and they turned him into this character that, listen, I'm not going to say Viserys was perfect, okay? Obviously not. But he was probably one of the more lovable people in this season. And I guess let's, let's talk about that. <laughs> How a character who did crappy things can still be that lovable. And it's not just Viserys, it's literally any of them. Well, I mean, even Damon, like, you know, we, we want to like him. And I think some of that might be the actor feeding the character, of course, because he, he's a very popular actor. He does some stuff and we're like, oh, poor Damon. And then he goes and murders his wife. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he can hook up with potentially his niece. And we're like, hmm, there's that Targaryen blood coming out. <laughs> I think a lot of that has to do with the acting. Everyone was so charismatic as actors, and Viserys was very compelling even when we didn't like what he was doing. The same goes for so many of the characters. We didn't like what we were doing, we still understood why they were doing it, which, um, you know, Game of Thrones in general is good at, but I think House of the Dragon took to the next level. With Alicent, I wanted to hate her so much, but then sometimes when I thought about it, I'm like, I kind of get where she's coming from. I might not like it, I might not, you know, side with her, but I, I can see where she's coming from, and I think I did a great job of showing that in Viserys as well. I agree. I thought the actors were extraordinary because they were made it very believable and they came from such a barbaric worldview that it, to me they played exactly the way they were supposed to. Mm -hmm. I thought the king was relatively weak though. He drove me crazy. <laughs> he drove me crazy. I did not mourn when he died. Oh my gosh. Okay, now I have to ask this question. How many of the people in this room, and you better not be embarrassed to raise your hand, how many of the people in this room at least choked up, if not actually teared up or cried? at Viserys' death scene. Well, that's not as many people as expected. I guess it depends on how you are as a watcher too. For me, it was it was almost even less about the character and more about the way he played, that Paddy Constantine played that death scene. And then I read the post that he made after that about how the way he played it was he's like returning to Emma because she was the love of his life and what happened to her was he felt the biggest like mistake of his life. And I was like, make it stop. Emotions. One of the scenes that got me even more emotional than his death, though, was him coming up to the throne. Yeah. The nice thing about Viserys is he did care about his family. I think if we didn't have Otto Hightower <laughs> in the picture being little finger worse, the middle finger, we'll call him the middle finger. <laughs> I feel like Viserys would have been better I think most of his bad decisions come listening to other people and letting other people make his decisions for him. And that's the reason I didn't think he was a horrible king, but I thought he was a weak king. Yeah. Because to me, he never trusted himself and he was always listening to other people. To me, the most touching moment is, you remember he came to the table with the mm -hmm. face mask on when he was really sick. And I thought that was notable. Oh but other yeah. than that, he drove me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't think he would have married Allison, I don't think he would have also married the other Valerian house. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he would have married either of those. He might have not married for a while, kind of stuff, or just, just left Rhaenerys be his heir. But because people bullied him into getting married, he got married. Then we got civil war. I will say about the, the throne scene where he drops his crown, I think the reason that's not my like emotional Viserys scene is because that's my emotional Matt Damon scene. Yeah. And yes, I use that name on purpose. It was him going to help his brother because like despite the differences and the problems that they'd had in their relationship in the past, there is was that love between the two of them. Gosh, it's so hard to see Viserys so weak like this and he's you know barely making it up to the throne. Then he drops the crown and Damon, his brother, comes up and picks up the crown and there's that moment where you're almost like, is he gonna, is he gonna do it? And he, you know, he puts it on Viserys' head, and it's like, oh man, like you gotta be sweet in this one moment. And and ah. Yes, that was an improv moment. Um, they didn't know the crown was going to fall, and and Matt Smith just like kind of picked it up. But yeah, that is that is important to point out that that was not written into the show, which I think knowing that gives it even more of an emotional impact. Well, speaking on the show, do you think that? David ever actually wanted to be king or if he just wanted his brother to love him if we're talking strictly show Damon I don't think so he might have had like that inkling of it would be cool to rule but I don't think he actually was striving for it I think book Damon is a little bit of a different animal though. Freedom. but to me one of the things to go off what you said Seth and then us just talk about that scene in general <laughs> when you have before Damon leaves the first time and like you should have made me hand and he's going through reasons and at the end he's like why and you know so he's like i'm your brother 
and to then bring it full circle. I just love that like brotherly moment of then it brings it full circle where he's putting the crown back on his head. So at the end of the day, they, he always had his brother's back. I just think it was such a quintessential like younger brother moment of he was always at his brother's back. So no, I don't think he ever wanted to be king. I think he was just wanting that approval and to help his older brother be down, even though he did it very well with some of his actions and you know, yeah. going off to prove himself. It's a very younger brother thing too. I think. Yeah, he definitely made poor decisions. <laughs> I agree 100%. He liked his freedom. He was a rogue and he was proud of it. So that's a, that's a positive in a way, uh, not all the time, but toward the end especially, that was a positive relationship. And now let's talk about, it's all fun and games until somebody loses an eye. <laughs> yeah. Because those kids, man, we didn't actually see the children fighting in the fighting pits, the ones that were actually in Flea Bottom, but I felt like they still gave it to us <laughs> with that scene with Viserys's second marriage children and his grandchildren fighting with each other. And I just, I would love to hear y'all's thoughts on the relationships between the two sets of children, why you think they were as, like on tenterhooks as they were and as bad as they were. And did you ever expect it to improve if you haven't read Fire and Blood? Well, I think it was nice that we got the scenes before to show them all interacting together nicely, all the grandchildren before he loses an eye, when they're, um, I think Amy goes down and he faces that dragon as a little kid, and then later, um, so you kind of get that backstory, which is nice. So that when they fight later, I feel like it's a lot more intense. And I just, in general, I like that. I can sympathize with Damon and what happened to him. They made it more of a, you know, it's not one-sided. It wasn't just, um, you know, him provoking someone. They kind of added some depth to it. I'm going to take a quote and from the series of when the Targaryen born, uh, a coin is flipped. And I think we just ended up with Psycho for all these kids. <laughs> I don't think any of them were going to ever be good people. They just, they had no... Listen, I mean, I think you're just talking about Allison's children because those other boys, they're strongs. Yeah. <laughs> okay? I, like, I, they're Targaryens, but I they're thought strongs. all of them were just a little spoiled. The parents were struggling too much for power for them to ever yeah. love each other and be yeah. real family members. Yeah. Because even if they built any type of relationship, it was going to get torn apart anyway. Which is so crazy because Allison was BFFs with Rhaenyra. We talked about this in the Princess and the Queen panel earlier today where, I mean, you know, A, also sapphic undertones, but B, they were BFFs and then until they weren't. And Allison knew that Rhaenyra was Viserys' chosen heir, but she has her father whispering poison into her ear constantly. So even though she knew that that's what Viserys had wanted from before they even got married, now she's got her own kids and she's got her father whispering that poison in her ear and she's passing that poison down not necessarily all the time by words but she's passing that poison down to her children because like even if she's not outright saying your uh Viserys's second marriage children and his grandchildren even if she's not specifically saying that Rhaenyra's children are bastards you can just see it in her mannerisms you can see kind of like the disgust in her I'm better than thou face all the time and even if she's not saying the words she's passing those feelings down to her children yeah completely agree with that yes go ahead hi so for me this is my personal opinion I felt towards the end before the whole civil war broke I felt like it was a glimmer of hope that Allison and Rhaenyra were gonna make amends especially at that dinner and they had that I felt like it was a legit toast to each other. It's like, we've had our stuff, but you know what? This is what Viserys wants. If you're willing to make it work, I'm willing to make it work. Obviously, when things go down with poor Luke, you know, that's off the table now. But do you believe that as well? Or Yeah, I, I would say that there was a miscommunication trope being played there between the two, which, funny enough, is the, my most hated trope in fantasy. But, you know, I think, yeah, if what happened had not gone down, we had to get Otto Hightower out of the picture for them to get a lot out. I think it makes the show all that more tragic that they're, to me, it seems like both of them want things to be better and it just can't. Like things keep happening mm -hmm. to drive the wedge farther and farther. That's what, I don't know, that's the compelling part of it is that they want things to be better, both of them, in their own way. But either by circumstance or their own poor decision making, it can't be that way. My question is, is when do you feel like Ramira and Allison gave up on each other, whether it was the same time or different times in the series? Like, where do you feel it was really like, okay, this is not who I thought you were? I don't know if there was like a final strong moment. So maybe someone else would better um, answering that. But to me, one of the things I thought was that there seemed to be resentment from the beginning. 
you know, just from, I think Rhaenyra fundamentally misunderstood Alison's place in society. She viewed, you know, you're making choices, and I don't like those choices, when Alison didn't really have the agency to be making the choices that Rhaenyra could make, and I don't think they ever really understood each other on that level, even though they were such good friends. And so I think it was more of a case of just resentment building over time, and then misunderstanding each other's position, and applying themselves to the other's position when it was just not possible for either of them to do that. I like that because they, there's a little bit of the power struggle where she she's princess hair, she's queen, she's supposed to be hair though, but queen as of her who was the most important one. I feel like Renera's held on to the potential friendship longer of the two. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But I don't think there could have ever been any kind of. I think the resentment was probably more on Allison's part because it was always an attitude like she really was nothing but the queen's bed woman and she had no power past that. And I think by her father's constant whispering, she started to feel like I'm going to exercise my power here and my sons do deserve these things even though it was against the king's wishes. Yeah, I don't know if I could say that there's, there was a specific break for either one of them, but I agree that Rhaenyra held out hope, I believe, for that friendship longer, which is weird because in the end it was really her, or well, in the beginning actually, it was really her who was wrong. She was wronged by Allison, kind of following her father's poison trail to Viserys's, I'm going to say bed, but she married him first. But beyond that, like then after the fact, Allison's having that jealousy of, well, Rhaenyra is actually having, Rhaenyra gets to have her good times with the cute boys. And I have never gotten to have that. And I absolutely think there was a lot of jealousy on her part there, but also that like, I don't even know if it's false piety, which is the sad, like, I don't know what's more sad that if it's false piety or if it's not, but that like, I'm better, again, that I'm better than now attitude that Allison had and how she attacked Rhaenyra's choices in that realm. I think even after that, Rhaenyra held on for too long. And let's be real, like in real life, there's always one person in the friendship who holds on to it a little longer than they should. You know, they had a serious different moral high ground yeah. too. I think that kind of fed into it too, because you know, I think Allison's first major move against Rhaenyra's was tattling about her going to a brothel. And that's kind of where things started breaking down between the two, because she was like, you can't have sex with people, kind of so forth. You can't even know it exists. Yeah. <laughs> I think she was also angry because the king saw it, but he refused to acknowledge what his daughter was doing. But is that really any of your business, Alice? Not at all. <laughs> Thank you for your question. Thank you. Yeah, really good question. So I thought I'd raise the topic of Damon and his three marriages, which are all very different. <laughs> yes. He's first married to Grand who we cannot say a kind word about, not even once, not even when he's murdering her, like, never. Even when she's dead, he's like, I'm sober out. And then with Lena, they seem happy-ish, and he describes it as happy enough, and then we have sort of mixed evidence for his life for a year. There's a couple of scenes where they're very happy, particularly at the beginning, I believe it's episode eight when she's pregnant before they go to King's Landing, that they seem to have a very happy home life with their blended children and then their shared children. And just the, I think one of the driving factors for Damon is his loyalty to family and how much he loves his brother, his niece, his children. And I think that is the core of what drives him. But those marriages are so different. And I just wanted to get you guys talking about that. Thank you. Now, first of all, we did not get enough Ray Roy screen time. Both oh, for yeah, she seems no. so cool and also man that armor. I'm kind of on the edge about the costumes, honestly, in season one of House of the Dragon. I didn't hate them or anything, but like if we're talking about the best things I saw, the armor with the runes, loved it. Anyway, I know that's a little bit off topic, but I've just been wanting to say that. No, I would have loved a spin-off of her, like, you know, adventures of her. Yeah. Because yeah. she could tell she's a bad she's a little Arya badass kind yeah. of potential. But like that was that was a forced marriage on both of them. Yeah. And so not surprising that it wasn't a happy one it was a very very opposite that's extremely unhappy one then he's he had the choice marriage with uh, Lena and even though things ended badly and the fact that she died like you had mentioned the happiness between the two of them seemed for the most part very real I, I mean there was obviously some there were some issues because they were having to live across the narrow sea and Lena wanted to return home, etc. And then he, he goes into the relationship with Rhaenyra and I always felt like, 
I, and this is, I want to hear your guys' opinions on this because I always felt like Damon had feelings for an attraction to Rhaenyra, but that it was more, it was more one-sided with Rhaenyra. Like she was the one who was pursuing him for a very long time, longer than she should have. I mean, yeah. really, she never should have, but you know, Targs. <laughs> I agree with what you said. I don't know, it's just a thought in my head just now thinking about those three marriages, and I don't know, this might not make sense, maybe it's just in my head. Like with Lena, I view the Valerians as very like water, and you know, the Targaryens as fire, so they kind of balance each other out. Where you have Rhaenyra and Daemon, they're both fire. You know, and so maybe that's awesome, but maybe it's also really bad sometimes. That's how I, in my head, kind of view those relationships. I don't know what that says about Rhea Royce, maybe she's air. Is anybody more, like better versed in astrology and talk about like what happens when two fire signs <laughs> get together? Right. I definitely think he loved as much as he can love anyway. He loved the second wife. Yes. His niece, I just, that was just a whole weird thing to me because I think he, I feel like he was the predator in that because he woke up her sexuality young mm -hmm. and took her to the brothels. So it was natural for her to chase him, but it was just a political thing for him to marry her, and he loves his family. Thank you for your question. So I know you don't want to talk about it, but I didn't get the costumes. Um, I didn't say I didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> so I thought it was really interesting seeing, you know, the kids of Viserys with like the blonde hair and the green and everything. So for me, every time I watch, especially the Game of Thrones, the costume design obviously is amazing. But every time I see a scene, it's really prominent to me to notice like what colors they're wearing, what kind of emblems around. And so I'm wondering if you guys notice to that extent like the stark difference between Rhaenyra's kids with you know the red on versus um, Sarah's kids with the green on. Like you were talking also about how Allison has a tendency to use body language as opposed to actually outwardly. So having her kids in that green as well, kind of just like how you guys talk about that kind of thing. I, well, I totally agree with you. I mean, I think we were talking about this on the panel the other day. There's a, a lot of fantasy shows today. I have a problem with their costume design in that when you have a lot of complicated names, places, regions, etc., you need a visual aid a lot of the time to see where people are from and what they're doing. And Game of Thrones has always been great at that. You know, if you know who's from the north, you know who's from Dorne. Um, it makes sense in the climate. It makes sense with their culture. And so I just love that in House of the Dragon, you see that with colors. Um, I agree with you, Tara, that some of the costume designs, um, you know, there's a reason I, didn't, I haven't made one yet from the show, because they were, they were kind of middling for me. But in terms of color story yeah. and those visuals, I do think they accomplished that. And that helps when you have an Aegon and an Aemon and, you know, all these names you're trying to figure out. You can see they're on this side, they're on the other. You know, when I watch this show with family members and maybe aren't as into as I am, it definitely helps. It falls into that show, Don't Tell category and, and I liked it and I, I agree you know like we, we talked about it for 15 minutes I thought the cosplay or the cosplay the costumes were quality wise a step down from the later Game of Thrones season six seven and eight even eight despite what eight was eight. <laughs> uh, yeah this is House of, House of Thrones but um, I, I still appreciated how, how they made sure house colors were represented it was very important because I knew I couldn't keep up with the names. So I looked for hair and colors and everything else. There were other costume things too. I mean, first of all, this this is something that actually happens in Fire and Blood. When Allison busts into that room in that green dress, I mean, that was a choice that she made on like several levels. And so even though I did not really love the dress itself, I was so glad. I mean, I, I can't imagine how they could have not done it because it is such a powerful moment, even in the book, which is which not, doesn't really have that many powerful moments, honestly, because it's like a history tome. But yeah, the, the colors, and also like, just to, since we're on costumes, I have to say, at least we did also finally get some of that crazy armor. Yes. Even if we ha even if we had to view that hideous uh, tower helmet <laughs> to <laughs> get Damon's helmet. amazing dragon helmet. Well, and we get so much of that fantasy helmet that I will say, the later seasons of Game of Thrones, everyone ended up in black and gray. And I think there's something yeah. to be said for that too, like, you know, with theming for the show. But um, it's nice to have some of those colored fantasy elements brought back into costumes, mm -hmm. like you said, the crazy armor, um, or even just like you know, yellow cloaks, the heraldry, like how Targaryen um, heraldry on the clothes and things like that. That's pretty cool. Hello. So uh, I want to know what uh, your guys is like. So from Fire and Blood, there are a lot of things that were left like very vague and everything. I want to know what your guys' favorite like thing from the show that was revealed, like. 
because like things were so vague that they revealed things like in the show that were like even book readers like oh my god they revealed the thing so mm -hmm. i just want to know if you guys have any like favorite moments that were revealed thank you i love this question we talked about this in the earlier panel about the the fact that the show had to make decisions on things that yeah. were super vague in the book so let's start with violet and, and work our way down I did not oh, read yeah, you didn't book. read Fire and Blood. No. I did not read Fire and Blood. Well, okay. Uh, was there something that you felt like was revealed in the show that surprised you, even though you didn't read the book? Like, just a sort of, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that happened. Come back. Okay, okay. I have a love-hate relationship with the revealing of prophecy in the show. Mm. Um, that's one of my biggest complaints um, at the end of Game of Thrones was just, I wanted more magic and more prophecy. That's what you know, a lot of time I watch fantasy shows. And so I was, I was sad that they didn't have that. And so in a way I was really excited to see that brought back and to tie it in with the histories and some of the prophecy stuff. I love that. I almost feel like they're trying to add that in now to appease to appease, you know, I wonder how much they're going to do as we go forward with that and if they'll make it make sense. So that's why I say maybe a love-hate relationship with it. But when we started, I was I was kind of surprised, like, oh, you guys are going back to this, like, the deeper lore of the series and of the world. So that's kind of exciting. It's been so long since I read the book versus watching the show. Um, it's okay. I have one. I'm going to say uh, Laris Littlefooter is the one who murdered his brother and father just because again it's one of those things in the book that's not clear at all it could it could be any number of people but i just i love that they made that decision and well there's a lot of things about that character and particularly his relationship with allison um that i really don't like or ever want to see again if i can avoid it um i will say that he had to have known that she didn't want him to do that but he was able to take what she said to him and twist it, use it as an excuse and use that as a way to also manipulate her. So it was it was a decision that they made and not only did they make it and stick to it, but they worked it into the story further, which I thought, I just thought it was done really well. I think I'm gonna go with Ama's death as being the biggest the, the thing. That's the one that I remember the most. Fire and Blood didn't really go into the details of that, and the show did show Viserys having to make that decision. While the book did go into the, that specific decision with others, I think they kind of glossed over it. It was a powerful scene for the show, kind of stuff for it. I think a shocking moment for me, and I don't know if it happened in the book or not, is when Lena commanded her dragon yes. to incinerate her. I'm here and for that. that. It was, was so was sad. Like, oh my god, that was so sad. It was so sad. But good, so good. And like also just to touch on the Viserys and Aima thing, because like I don't know if somebody else is gonna ask this, but we haven't talked about it, and I swore in the Princess and the Queen panel I would bring this up. What I wanna say about that is like I think that's the most contentious thing that Viserys did, right? Like you can say he was a weak king and, and he wasn't fun for you, and yes, he didn't make great decisions all the time in other ways as well, but everybody always goes back to the the Emma death. And the one thing I have continually said about it is that I think people are, they forget the fact that he was literally given a choice. Either you're going to lose them both or you can possibly save your child. So there was no way for her to live. That is the end all be all. The mistake, the true mistake that Viserys made in that moment was giving her zero agency, not telling her what was going on, allowing her to be frightened because yes, in that moment he was weak because he was scared. He was scared about his child. He was scared about his wife whom he loved. And also that ties in with Lena's death because Lena was in a very similar position and Damon let her make that decision, right? He let her choose to just go to Vagar and say, this is how I want to go because I'm not going to live through this childbirth anyway. Um, the show did such a great job exploring the horrors of childbirth, especially in a world like this, but <laughs> thank you so much for your question. So uh, it's not necessarily my favorite character, but in terms of differences between book and show, I thought one of the most interesting was Kristen Cole. Right? You know, the big difference is just to break it down very quickly is obviously in, in Fire and Blood, he kills Joffrey more or less in combat. He's trying to kill him on purpose and he succeeds, but he, they kill each other more or less in combat right here. And so he kills Joffrey. And then also when he in the show, you know, he kills Beastbury, shoves him down. It's kind of an accident. It's not clear whether he meant to kill him. In the book, it's almost certain to like either chuck him out a window or basically slit his throat. So, and also in the, the other biggest difference is in the book, it suggested that Kristen paid a lot more 
he really convinced Aegon to take the crown, to the crown, whereas in the show I didn't really see that. It seemed more like he was just anti-Rhaenyra, and so he just defaulted to the other camp. So I was wondering if y'all had any thoughts about who he comes across, whether those changes make any difference, or whether he's just an unsympathetic, nice guy who like thought he was entitled to a lot more than he was. Nice guy, TM. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have so many thoughts about our unfavorite fortune and sell circle of house law, but let's uh, listen to the other panelists. I agree with what you said. I, 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 I take your take on No that. notes. Yeah, Cole yeah. is something. Yeah, I agree with you as well. I, and this isn't me saying I like Kristen. I don't. I found him less evil than maybe his book counterpart, but more annoying. Um, <laughs> so, but I, I totally agree. That's a mood. Less evil, more annoying. Yeah. <laughs> He's so like handsome and good looking, right? And he comes in and, and Rhaenyra obviously has a thing for him, but only a physical thing. And she used him a little bit. She also kind of, I, I think she, that was a little bit of a power play on her part. I'm not saying he wasn't into it, but also that's how a lot of bad things happen. So when there's somebody who has more power than you, I and mean, she's literally, he is her sworn sword. What is he gonna say? No. But that said, whatever happened between them, he liked it enough that he just like could not get that out of his mind, okay? She's got that magic Targaryen, uh, I don't even know. She's, she's a magic girl in the bed. But he was so, he became so into her that it was, it literally turned into, like you said, this situation where if I can't have you, no one can, and also you're a see you next Tuesday. And then he attaches himself to Allison. His thing with Allison is like, like you said, just because he hates Rhaenyra mm -hmm. is, is how it seems. And I, I do think that the more he gets to know her, it turns into more of a, she is the pious, perfect uh, lady-like woman that Rhaenyra wasn't really ever, but for certain is no longer to him. And it's, it's the opposite quote unquote, for lack of a better word, things about Rhaenyra that he has decided to hate on. And we actually talked about this in the earlier panel where somebody had asked, do you think he'll ever break with Allison or vice versa? And I said, I mean, Allison has really no reason to let go of him because she, you know, and I think not one of our panels, Nami was saying like, she needs him to protect her, but I feel like it's more likely that he will walk away from her if, and I'm, when I say more likely, I mean, I still don't think it's more than like maybe 35% likely. He would walk away from her if he finds out about the Laris stuff because that will soil her purity in his eyes. And it just, he just, uh, he is a piece of work. And like you said, it, it does seem like he's a little bit more, maybe evil isn't the right word, but possibly even a, like a little bit more. Um, petty. Petty he's he's petty. Yes, he's petty and bitter in the show. And I in the book, I think he's just out to kind of do his job, which happens to include doing a bunch of crappy things in the show. He like commits a hate crime, okay? He has sex with Anira, she turns him down, and one of the next things he does is commit a hate crime. I don't, I don't wanna say it gets worse from there, but it sure as hell doesn't get better. <laughs> I don't see him becoming a person anybody could like ever. As a cosplayer, you know, I'm watching the, the, the show and I'm always watching for who, who I'm gonna cosplay. And he was up there on the list. <laughs> Until <laughs> he, he turned down, I'm like, you know what? While I, I love cosplaying villains and the people people hate, I'm not going there. With oh, you. I thought you were going for Kingsguard Arbor, and I was like, why don't you just do Harold Westerling because he's awesome. <laughs> interesting thing you said, Tara, about how uh, he, he looks at Allison as kind of, you know, the, this good little girl, and then the, the stuff she's doing with her feet. <laughs> Let's be very clear, that is not Allison's choice. That is an, a, a, a seriously abusive relationship that is perpetrated by Laris Littlefooter. But, isn't, isn't that something? But yes, if, Cole, if Kristen Cole finds out about it, it's not going to matter that she has done nothing wrong in that particular situation. It's only going to matter that this pure queen in his eyes is now yes. soiled. It's, yep. it's, it's like growing up religious and the boy in your church finds out that you kissed somebody. Oh no, heaven forbid, now you're, I, I don't want to choose somebody else's gum. <laughs> Sorry. Thank you. <laughs> that was like the most awkward chuckle in the corner. Like somebody else has been in this situation, right? <laughs> like, I'm sorry I grew up in a holy religious family. <laughs> Hi, uh, I wanted to bring up a dragon fight at the end of season 
Yes. Specifically, how it really showcases that you cannot control these creatures. I'm gonna yeah. say I like your outfit, and I loved the dragon yeah. in this. I think the CGI was better in House of Dragon. Oh yeah. And the, the fight was one of my favorite parts of it, and just the look on—I'm I'm horrible with Targaryen names. The look on his face when his dragon just completely deletes oh, the other oh. one. <laughs> deletes. <laughs> Control yeah. Alt Delete. <laughs> yeah. And, and he's like. Oh, I have in so much trouble. Yeah. Yeah. I'm up for it. That moment when the lightning flashes and you see the dark shadow, mm -hmm. just totally morphing. Oh, I'm thinking myself, Jill's thinking about it. It's just so amazing because in Game of Thrones you see dragons, but they're all of similar size and they grow slowly. You get the whole range, mm -hmm. you know, every color, every kind of look, the different sizes, what they all, what they all can do. They did such a great job of making Vagar look so grizzled and. And old, um, but yeah, what an amazing scene! Especially not just the different sizes, but like, oh my gosh, Sea Smoke with his cute little goatee, and Karatsi's the windy boy, just like slithering around in the yeah. air. I mean, we just we get all these different things, and but yes, that moment, man, when you see Vagar come under, um, and I'm blanking on, uh, was it Luke's? Thank you, Eric. I was gonna say Cyrax, and I was like, I don't think that's right. You see that shadow, and it's like, I will say that CGI-wise, I thought there was one scene in the very beginning of episode one, I believe, where it was showing some dragons flying around, and I was like, oh, I hope this isn't like how the CGI for these dragons is gonna be all season. But whatever happened with that scene and why it was kind of meh, uh, they fixed that real quick, and it was the rest of it was just so 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 great. And then also just the moment where, like you said. Eamon realizes it's I, I can't remember if it was Nami earlier but the surprise Pikachu face yeah. that's, that's every that's what I see when I see Eamon just being like oh no this gigantic old dragon who's had like however many riders before me um just murdered my cousin and his dragon and I told her no but she just she just kept going I mean have you ever had a dog that hasn't had obedience training Eamon Eamon boy but the thing is, you can't you can't train a dragon like that. This isn't that property. <laughs> yeah. This isn't the nice little Viking town. Yeah, you know, yeah. It was dragons. sad when he got eaten. I was like, oh no. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask about uh, what you guys thought of the dragons, uh, the effects of the dragons. So instead, what did you guys think about the time jump between yeah. episode five and six? I mean, at least for me specifically, the idea that they aged up. They just cut, they cut Damon's hair, come on. <laughs> I will say I, I appreciated that they aged the children up to almost adults, I would say, is what their age is. It makes me uncomfortable when I'm reading some books and there's some children. There was a current Forgotten Realms book that came out and in the first chapter it was talking about a 14-year-old girl having this dress that showed off her curves in her bosoms and I immediately closed the book and threw it away kind of stuff for it and that's how I kind of felt like the other book but when the, when they showed the show and they showed that they're they're going to be a little bit older kind of stuff where I was like all right I'm going to be in on the show kind of stuff for it. In general uh, I like the of the time skip because I feel like it really hits home like them being younger and then being older and you kind of get into different scenarios when you're younger versus older so visually that that you know you have the difference there i would have liked even more time to spend with them um when they were younger i feel like that could have been extended but maybe that's just me wanting more of that um the one thing i will say and the, and the only grip i have with them doing a time jump is like you mentioned not everybody gets older physically like kristen cole like i said apparently has some really great genes um and then as far as the kids you know a lot of them were fine with the jump even though i feel like turned into like a grown man really easily. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so you know, uh, where it's like the, the strong boys, or sorry, maybe they're not strong boys, but the strong boys, they um, aged up and, and they were really great likenesses, but they, like I said, Eamon looks like so much older than them overnight, I don't know, maybe that's a choice. And I love the actor, no, no shade there, I think he's awesome. Um, but visually, it didn't, it wasn't perfect, but I like the idea of showing the difference between young and old. 
I think you could almost like tell time in House of Dragons by how bad Viserys the first looks. <laughs> <laughs> he's the one with the bad teeth. It's like he's get, you know, he first starts off has a little cut on his pinky, and then at the end, he has to wear the mask kind of stuff for it. I appreciate the time jump because it helped move the story along better. But it did take me like an episode or two to mash them up. Like, okay, that was weird. <laughs> I feel like. And, and I agree, the fact that they aged up the girls and not everybody else, it, it, it threw me off at first, but the more I thought about it, they were, well, I can't remember exactly how old they were supposed to be in the first several episodes, but it was young, right? Like 14, yeah, 14. I, I mean, and, and how old are they supposed to be in the later ones? It's like 10 years later, right? So like early 20s, mid 20s. So let's say they were 14 and now they're 24, 25, something around there. At 24, 25, I looked nothing like I did. I mean, it's like you could, if you put the picture of me at that age next to the teenage picture of me, sure, you could tell I'm the same person, but everybody changes so much more in that time frame than they do as they get older. So, I mean, Viserys and Damon, they're, they're full on, you know, practically middle-aged men in the show when we start. Kristen Cole, like maybe he should have changed a little bit, but... I, I'm also in this, like, I don't really give a crap what they do with Sir Cole of House Law. <laughs> so with the children, though, because I know, I know you, you were more talking about the girls, but with the children, my God. Hello, fellow young Targaryens, says Aemond with his dragon on his shoulder, like that Steve Buscemi. <laughs> you know, like, he looks like he's 40, and I think he's actually a year or two younger than the actor who plays Aegon, and it's just like... Again, no no complaints about the acting or the actors, but wow, <laughs> like wow. Yeah, no, that was uh, something I watched, and I was like, mm, that's a choice. <laughs> awesome, thank you. Thank you. I was wondering what your take would be on how in Game of Thrones we had this disgust of when we saw Jamie and Cersei together, and I mean it was instant. It was like we were in the same room, like you don't touch each other, but. When you have Damon and Rhaenyra, I think it's a testament to show like how how normal it was then for them, and kind of like what your take on that was. Because I've always found that to be really interesting that that would have been in everyone's lifetime during Jamie and Cersei, but they mm -hmm. all acted like they've never seen it before. I was quite grossed out by both. Yeah. I, it made my skin crawl, that whole brothel scene with his niece. It, it was just very creepy to me. So I had the same effect that Jamie and um, Cersei had in yeah. Game of Thrones. No, yeah, I'm, I'm from Georgia, and that's a state away from us. Uh, that's a festival. Uh, but, yeah, it was, I, yeah, I don't, the incest is not incest when you come to Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you guys, I mean, it's, I think it's one of those things that definitely meant to make us feel uncomfortable with it. Mm -hmm. In the world, though, I will say, that, I mean, Targaryens have this, a policy of exceptionalism, even within the faith, yeah. that the faith leaves them alone when it comes to incestuous marriages, where that's not the same for everyone else. You know, they're a step above the rest of men, and so um, in world people see it as okay for them, but not for anyone else, um, which I think would kind of explain why it's accepted some places. And even with you know Damon or Nira, they're not they're not siblings. That's even a step farther. So you know, to them, oh, okay, I guess that's not so bad. That's okay. <laughs> I guess kind of add to when. It struck me that Viserys had such a problem with it when he, in fact, was also in an incestuous marriage. Yeah, I think maybe it's just in that case, it's more like his own personal bias. Like, that's my daughter. Yeah. And, and my brother. Versus, like, yeah. maybe a problem with incest in general. Yeah, <laughs> if it was like his niece and nephew, he wouldn't have cared, but because it was Viserys. Oh, I mean, there was that hot minute where good old Otto was trying real hard to get teenage Rhaenyra to marry the two year old baby, baby gone. So. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, the, the exceptionalism plays a part in how it's viewed in in their world. In the real world, I, honestly, your question makes me want to do a poll of like Cersei shippers and Damon, Cersei Jamie shippers and Damon and Rhaenyra shippers, like, and see how many like how many people are. I, I don't want to say okay with it, but like, I want to see which one is more popular. <laughs> Like it might not be okay, but hey, we we do not we do not um we do not ship shame. We ship ask why. <laughs> it, would, it would be such a good one to stir the pot. Thank you. Okay, so I'm gonna ask for a little speculation. Do you think Helena's kids are actually Aegon's? And do you think that that might be something the show would be willing to explore if 
like me, they think there is a chance for dubious parentage for Helena's children. I think they're, I think they're hang ons. But I do appreciate the speculation with Eamon because you do, you know, for someone who's portraying such a villain in a way, you do see him be um, more tender with his mother and with his sister. But in my opinion, I just, I don't know, Helena doesn't seem that. To me, I don't think she would be, you know, seeking off for some romantic affair with Eamon. To me, that's not her personality, yeah, but um, I do respect the fact that you see Eamon be more tender with, like I said, his mother and his sister. Um, so. I love speculation, so it's my favorite thing because, you know, I'm a, I'm a Cosmere fan, so of course. Um, I kind of, there. I think there could be a chance, and I think if, if the show directors decide to go that way, we will get to see more of that. That's, that's, that's really good speculation. I think, um, just based on the scene where they're betrothed and Amanda is saying, well, if I were betrothed to her, I would be with my duty on my keyboard. Yeah, that last part. That's that's the part that like interests me. I will say though, I personally I don't think Helena has it in her to do that. And I, I honestly don't think Eamon does either. I think that his his affection for Helena, while I totally understand how how you could be like, okay, I gotta I've gotta ask this, right? Like I've gotta think that maybe this is a chance because he shows that sort that sweetness and affection for her. But like Rebecca was saying, I, I think it's more of a brotherly, sisterly thing. And I, obviously they're Targaryens. Okay, so there's always that question there. But in, in his case, I think it's more that he wants to take care of her because he knows how crappy Aegon is to her. My question is, is what do you think is the main success of the rape you talked about the brothers between um, uh, the series and Aiden? Trying to remember all the names. Mm -hmm. But um, between the two brothers and then the failure of Renly and Stannis Baratheon, what do you think that they failed, like that Renly and Stannis failed at that uh, the series and his brother succeeded in? As far as like their brotherly relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, no, I mean, I, I, it's okay. I just, I don't want to speak over anybody else. Like, I, I don't want to be the person that speaks all the time. Yeah, that's what I think. I love talking about like birth order and that effect on people's personalities. Find that interesting. Even though there's some problems between Viserys and Damon, I do see a lot of that older brother stereotype and the younger brother stereotype play out in them um, somewhat. Whereas I don't think Robert is as much of that big brother stereotype to Stannis. Um, and then also Stannis is a middle child, which is interesting. And so I don't think you have, even though Viserys might be weak in some sense, I still think you have that kind of like big brother love for his brother and looking out for him that I don't think you really see with Robert to Stannis. You kind of see it more between Robert and Ned, yeah. not with Stannis and Rimley. I'd say there's already really one, one person Robert Baratheon loved. And, you know, with, with, with Sirius and his brother, there was love there. I, I don't see that any brotherly connection between Robert and Stannis. That's what was, I was thinking, I was trying to go through the seasons, like season one, and it's just, he, you know, even with Brindley, there is no love there, in my opinion. So, I agree, because it's yeah. obvious that the king loves Damien, yeah. even though they may not agree yeah. all the time. The other one, they didn't have any regard for each other. I think a lot of it has to do with First of all, Robert was sent away for most of his childhood, but also Robert is the most extroverted, obnoxious person, and Stannis is the most introverted person. And so I think even when they were back together again, their parents had also passed away when they were all fairly young. And I think that Robert was a extroverted and annoyed the crap out of Stannis probably, but also did not, he, w he was never a leader, okay? He might've ended up king, he shouldn't have been, but he was never really a leader. He was a person who just had the right people behind him. And Stannis is over here thinking, I could do everything better than you. Um, middle child syndrome too, for sure. And then you've got like Renly, who's just like, I mean, he was really, really young. I, I can't remember how old, but I don't know if it was even much older than a toddler, maybe four or five when their parents died. And 
Stannis was not the type of person to like affectionately raise him as a younger brother. He was, I'm, I, what I would assume is that he was just like a, if he was there helping raise him in any way, shape or form, because lords and ladies and they've got all the other people there. Um, he was probably just this very cold person. And also Renly, Renly does actually have like way more ambition than either of his brothers do. So I just think there was way too much contention between the three of their personalities. Whereas Viserys and Damon are obviously very different, but they're different in the way siblings are different but can still love each other. Whereas the Baratheons between what happened to them as children losing their parents, Robert being sent away and falling in love with Ned as a brother, um, where he never gave that sort of affection to either of his real blood brothers, you know, that, that's got to hurt too. So yeah, I, 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 think it's, I think it's a lot of just how they were all raised and their and personality differences more than anything else. Oh, you're fine. Um, and we, we have time for one more question. Maybe two if we may. Okay, here's what we're going to do. Ask your question. Whoever answers it first, that's the one answer. And then we'll finish uh -huh. out with you. So in a way, yes, <laughs> because Otto, good old Otto, screwing everything up. First of all, thank you guys so much for putting this together. That's wonderful of you. My question is a little bit uh, piggybacking off of my own colleagues who were before me. If you think the order of birth had been different in terms of Aegon II and Aemon, how differently do you think, if at all, do you think things would have turned out? Um, I mean, I think if they were born differently, they would have different personalities because I love like a birth order thing. So I think, you know, Eamon being um, in the middle factors into it. And so he, you know, he might say, I could do this better. And I think we kind of get that sense. But if he had been born first, well, and Aegon second, well, maybe Aegon would be the one saying that to him, being the one not chosen by birth to be there, um, if that makes sense. But if we're talking just like their personalities, um, at least how we're given Eamon in the show, I think there's more nuance to him, and he probably would, if we're just transferring them wholesale into the other spot, I think he probably would make um, a better ruler, but I also think things would be different if they were born in a different place. Thank yeah, you so yeah, I agree. Thank you guys so much for coming. Hey, uh, don't forget to donate to the DragonCon charity, uh, preferably in the High Fantasy Tracker. If you like the panel, make sure you rate us five stars in the app. If you didn't like the panel, the app doesn't exist for you, but thank you for coming anyway. Bye. <laughs> have a great rest of your convention, by the way. Thanks, you guys. Have a good night. Thank you for listening to the Geek Saga podcast. If you like what you heard, please check out other Geek Saga entertainment endeavors, including the Sagas and Sass webcast and podcast and Ice and Fire Con.